If you have your Bibles or your devices, I'll be in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17 in a moment. But I'd like to today, just what a week we've had at Stone Creek Church. I just want to tell you, man, this has been a convergence of a lot of things this week. We started off on Monday uh, opening up our, our El Roy house, our house for pregnant teenage moms. The first girl, first woman moves in today. Come on. That's good. And then since Wednesday, man, we have been in the thick of it with the big give. We've roughly served uh, 2,000 families. That's thousands of individuals. Come on. And uh, some of you, you don't need to work out for a whole other week. You're, you, you had the last workout, man, because <laughs> yeah, those turkeys were big turkeys we were handing out. And I just want to thank you ahead of time, or thank you for your, your volunteering and, and, and service this week. It's, it's truly a group effort to get that done. I was meeting with the mayor of Urbana and just blown away. She's just blown away by the generosity of Stone Creek. I say that to say this is uh, today is a big day at Stone Creek. Every year in the Christmas and Easter season, we receive two miracle offerings to highlight the two miracles of greatest miracles of Jesus's life, his virgin birth and his resurrection and ascension. Beginning in September, we put out our Kingdom Builders initiatives. We talked about things like our Big Give, our Elroy House, all of our trips around the world, all of our initiatives that we do. And we have regular tithes and offerings, but this is where we set aside two times a year where in a big way we invest in what God's doing. You're not giving to Stone Creek, you're giving through Stone Creek. That's important. Nobody's getting pay rises and nobody's getting new homes and this stuff. It goes to the people that we serve. And so I just want to say uh, thank you ahead of time for your generosity in this way. If you scan the QR code, uh, if you want to do it on the app, it's Mark Miracle Offering. It's all at the top of all of those. You've got the different giving options, Venmo, whatever you want to use, uh, giving envelopes as, as you exit. And uh, today's the first day we receive it. And we'll be highlighting all from now until the end of the year, all the different things that we do uh, with that Miracle Offering. So thank you ahead of time for your generosity. And all we ask, I'll say this, we don't manipulate. We just present the vision and then God's provision comes through the people and just do what the Spirit of the Lord tells you to do. That's it. We've been studying now this, in this series, Two Thirds is Not Enough, the three foundations of Jesus' ministry. It says that he taught in the synagogues. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and it says that he healed all manner of sickness and diseases. So Jesus went about preaching, teaching, and healing. We've said that the teaching is the inspirational part. It's the parables that Jesus would tell. It's the, it's the motivational messages that he would speak. It's the, the inspiration. It's the teaching the instruction, the principles when applied that help you to build. Jesus says he applies the wisdom as like a person who builds their house upon a rock. Then you have healing. This is the impossible things that Jesus did through the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. And what we've said and surmised is, is that here in the Western world, specifically, I'm speaking in our United States context, is we usually pick two out of three. And the one that we most often leave out in our culture is the impossible one. 
often because that's connected to the most mysterious person of the Godhead, the person of the Holy Spirit. But Paul said, when I came to you, I did not come to you with wise and just persuasive speech alone, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. So we've been talking about not just God the Father, God the Son, but really leaning into God the Holy Spirit. And here's our, our major statement. Impossible happens when we partner with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. When I partner with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission, what's going to happen is impossible, unexplainable things are going to begin to happen in and through you. I love that word partner. It's the key word. Everything hinges on our partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Greek the word there we talked about was paraclete, the one that's called alongside to help you. For some of us, like, that's hard to imagine. So I think a, a word maybe you might understand better is paramedic. You, you get into an accident and you need help quickly, you're going to call a paramedic to come quickly to assess the situation and, and hopefully stabilize and heal you. Well, the Holy Spirit's like a good paramedic. You get in a situation where you're wounded, the Holy Spirit will help bring healing to you. If you don't quite get uh, paramedic, maybe you'll get paratrooper. Some of you from a military background, you understand a paratrooper, highly trained soldier, filled with all kinds of skills. You're in a chaos. You want a paratrooper alongside of you. And the Holy Spirit's like that. He's the paratrooper. He's packing some power, help you fight. You may not understand paratrooper, but maybe you understand parasol. What is that? You say, another word for umbrella. I'm getting creative here. You're in a storm, and, and listen, it's raining, and it's storm, and hail's falling. Man, you, you want to get underneath that covering, protected from the elements. The Holy Spirit adds a layer of protection. And, uh, you may not get parasol, but definitely you get this one, parachute. Parachute, you start falling, you, you want something to catch you so that you don't harm yourself further. That's the Holy Spirit. You fall. The Holy Spirit's there to catch you and to pick you up. And if you don't get any of those... How about just a pair of pants? Okay, there you go. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives you a whole new wardrobe. Come on, I'm just joking. I can keep going. There you go. But let me get back to the text. So we've been looking at, as, as to understand this invisible person called the Holy Spirit, the most mysterious part. The Bible gives us a rich uh, amount of, of symbols that we can use to make the impersonal personal. We said that there's the five primary symbols of the Holy Spirit, water, wind, oil, fire, and a dove. And we've talked about all of those except one, and we close with this one. We're going to talk today about how the dove represents an aspect of the Holy Spirit's nature and function in our life. Now, I want to start the first time a dove appears in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think it allows us to interpret the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Genesis chapter 8, you don't need to turn there, but there's an interesting story. Noah, the earth has been destroyed. God has judged the earth 40 days, 40 nights, rain, waters covered the earth. Noah has been drifting and waiting for the waters to recede so that they can move into their future. So what he does is he releases a dove to see if it would bring anything back, a sign that there's new life ahead. So the dove, he sends out one time, nothing happens. Then the second time, it says in Genesis 8, 11, that when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew, I like that, then he knew that the water had receded from the earth. 
This is a picture of the salvation experience. But when the dove is a symbol of peace, and so he sends it out, and, and when it comes back, it signified to Noah that the judgment that God had placed upon the earth was over. That the waters were beginning to recede. The wrath of God had now been satisfied, and the dove was a symbol now of peace to him. But also in its beak was an olive leaf, some say olive branch, which is a symbol of new life. So not only had the past been reconciled, the judgment was over, there's now peace with God, there's a whole new world that's awaiting you, Noah, in the future. The Bible says this, that uh, you were dead in your trespasses, but the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. When you were born again, many people describe it as I had an overwhelming sense of peace. The wrath of God upon the judgment of your sins had to be satisfied in the person of Jesus. You put your faith in him. The past has been forgiven. It has been judged, and Jesus has wiped it clean. Now the dove of peace is upon your life. But the beautiful thing is, moving forward, there's a whole new, wo- a whole new world that awaits you, the spirit-controlled, spirit-filled life. So with that in mind, the book of Matthew and the Gospels open up with a story at Jesus' baptism and there, this says the heavens open and the spirit in the form of a dove comes upon Jesus. Now, biblically, what's being pronounced is that the Old Testament is ending. And now there's a whole new kingdom being introduced to you. I want to read this story in Matthew chapter 3. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Jesus, was, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at the moment, and at that moment, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, or means it was resting upon him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, before the Bible speaks to us, you have to understand it spoke to them. It wasn't written to us. It was written to a whole other, in a whole other culture, to a whole other group of people. And when they read this, something that we don't inherently see, they would have saw and understood. You see, at this time, uh, Rome was the, the conquering nation, the conquering empire of the world. It was the greatest empire at that time. And uh, one of the th- ways in which they had chosen their emperors is a unique way, is they had people who, uh, through divination, they were called augurs. And what they would do is they would read aviation, birds in flight, And they would study the birds to determine who the emperors were going to be. They were the primary choosers from Octavian to Domitian when it comes to the emperors of Rome. And through a series of things that they would do, they would study the flight paths of birds, they would release birds, and if a bird, particularly an eagle, were to land on an individual, that highlighted to them as a sign that this is the next emperor of all Rome. It's where we get the word inauguration. It means to declare the future. And so that's why the symbol of Rome was an eagle. 
And it was the, it represent strength. It represented aggressiveness. It, represent, it represented dominance. It really captured the culture of Rome world domination. So when they're reading this, this audience, and, and then they're occupied by Rome knowing this, this is Jesus' inauguration. But it's not the eagle that lands on him. It's a dove. I don't think you can get anything more polar opposite in the bird kingdom from an eagle to a dove. If an eagle is strong and aggressive and dominant, then the dove is meek, is gentle, and it's peaceful. It really symbolized the nature of this kingdom that this king would introduce. But John, in his, in his writing, his gospel, he adds a little word. He says this. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, and here's what it said, and remain on him. This is the first time in the Bible where the Holy Spirit remained on a person. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and lift. It would empower somebody to prophesy, then it would lift. It would empower somebody to do a great exploit, Samson to, to do great exploits, and then it would lift. It didn't remain. But now Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, rests upon this person called Jesus. See, because a dove by nature, it doesn't want to be around a lot of noise. You'll never find a dove in the middle of a city around a bunch of noise. In fact, it doesn't even be around a lot of people. It, it looks, it doesn't want to be around a lot of flesh. It, it looks for a place where it's peaceful and quiet. So here, evidently, the Holy Spirit in the dove was at home on the person of Jesus, so much so that he rested upon him in an uninterrupted way. I'm going to say some things today that are not going to be popular. You'd think the dove was, would be the easiest one to preach, but I promise it's not. And you may not like me after today, and that's okay. But I'm going to just say some things that are important that need to be said. First is this. Jesus Christ is still anointed by a dove. See, the disciples wanted him to be anointed with the eagle. If you read in the book of Acts, Jesus is getting ready to be taken up into heaven. And they're like, Jesus, is, is now when you're going to institute your kingdom? Is now when you're going to overthrow Rome? Even to the very end, when they've been with him, he's been resurrected, they still think his kingdom is coming through strength and dominance and aggression. And that's why he says, you got to wait until the spirit comes, the dove comes on you. I think I'll say the, a few things here. It's so easy to want to replace the dove with something else. And anytime you replace the dove with something else, attach a symbol to Jesus that's not biblical, what happens is you get an aberration of Christianity. See, I'm going to speak into the United States culture here. I think we're wrestling with, is Jesus still anointed with a dove or is it a donkey of a democratic party? I think politics may be the new religion in America. And the church is struggling with, is Jesus still a dove or is it with a donkey now? Or is it with an elephant representing the Republican side? 
Because if Jesus was here, he would really be one of those. I'm claiming him and attaching that symbol to him. And I'll even just say it this way. I think one of the greatest temptations of the church is to anoint Jesus with an American flag. Is to be a Christian and have this nationalism attached to it. I'm not saying you can't love your nation, but what do you do when the actions and policies of your nation contradict the king and his kingdom? Which do you choose? The dove or the donkey? The dove or the elephant? The dove or the flag? This gets real. And if you do that, you create an aberration of Christianity that will end up offending and grieving the Holy Spirit. Because that's possible. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, he says the Holy Spirit can be offended. He says do not grieve, do not trouble, do not vex the Holy Spirit. I'll just say it like this, don't trouble the dove. Because the dove can lift off of you. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you lose your awareness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you two things biblically that I think are the two greatest ways I have and we have, and, and just my pastoral experience. When I see the scriptures, my pastoral experience tells me these two are true, and the Apostle Paul tells me these two are true. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Number one, you're not going to like this one, is bitterness. Right after he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of your redemption, he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, what a list. This is the list of grieving the Holy Spirit. It's bitterness, it's rage, it's anger, it's brawling, it's slander, and it's malice. Leave that up there. This is how I know that the church in America is being hijacked by political systems. Because that list is a description, a more accurate description of the church in the United States than the list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You see, when you create an aberration, when you put a symbol that shouldn't be there, this is what you get. And Paul puts it at the top, bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, 15 says, be careful that a root of bitterness doesn't grow up in you. That defy, it says, that doesn't trouble you. And it says, many there be who are destroyed by the root of bitterness. So he's speaking to the church. Could it be that one of the greatest works of the enemy in this church, Stone Creek, is the roots of bitterness? Can I just tell you that the greatest trouble I have as a pastor, as a Christian, is fighting off bitterness? Because it's so easy when offended, when hurt, to blame others. I think at it like this. I, I kind of like it to make it easier for you, so I'll put it on the screen here. 
we like to curse it, then we rehearse it, and then we disperse it, when what we need to do is reverse it. Come on, somebody. All right. First thing we do when somebody troubles us, we curse it. Some of us can cuss somebody out real good up in there. Sometimes it comes out here, too. Come on, somebody. But our first thing is attack, destroy, get my revenge, get my pound of flesh. I, I, ooh. And then it goes from we're cursing it to this one. We begin to rehearse how we're going to do it. We, in our mind, we're driving down the road and we're playing out Thanksgiving meal already. Let them just say something. Let them give me that look again. Let them just bring up that politician one more time. I'm going to let them know. We're going to get up and leave, and we're taking our turkey because we paid too much for that and walking up out of this place. This is how we do it. We curse it, and we will rehearse it. And if we do those two, the third one's right behind it, it it'll come out. We will disperse it at any moment. You know, what I love about Paul is he says, you can grieve. Here's what grieving looks like. And then he just says, be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Well, I'm, I'm just setting up how we grieve, and I will talk about how we solve these and, and make things right at the end of the message. But I just want to put it out there, and this is true of me, and I think this is true in the scriptures, that the number one way we will Grieve Holy Spirit, the dove lifts, is through bitterness. Number two is no, not any more fun either. Number two is sexual immorality. Number two is sexual immorality. In the Old Testament, there's an individual where angels pronounce his birth. It's almost, it follows the same pattern as Jesus, almost. Two individuals are older who can't, have a child, two angels show up and say, you're going to have a son and his name will be Samson. His name will mean sunshine because it's in a dark place and he's going to rise up and be a deliverer of the people. He has a prophetic promise. He's going to be a Nazarite though. He's got to be set apart. He, he can't cut his hair. He can't drink wine. He's not to marry a Philistine woman uh, as the commands of the Lord. He, he is to be a sam symbol of, of holiness and dedication to the Lord and that is his strength. He's born, and it's clear early on that he is the deliverer, but we find him early on always challenging the boundaries of God. We find him, the first thing we see is he's walking through a vineyard, and he's not supposed to be near wine. Then he's going to marry a Philistine girl, and his parents are trying to talk him out of it, and through a series of circumstances, he's deceived, and she's married off, but it's in his heart to do what is forbidden. Then we see him in, 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 a, in a late at night at the house of a prostitute, surrounded by the Philistines. And what's he do? He gets up, and the Bible says, and, and in, that, in that moment, the Spirit of God comes on him. He rips the gates off, and he takes it all the way up, and takes the donkey or the jawbone of a donkey and slays thousands. He, he's not supposed to touch anything that's dead, but yet he uses something that's dead, and, and it works. And then we find him at the end in the lap of Delilah who seduces him over a period of time, shaves his head, and the scariest verse in the whole Bible to me is this. He stands up to shake himself free from the bondage. And beforehand, it says they burned off of him like flax. They couldn't be contained. 
But it says this, he stood up to do it. He couldn't because he did not know that the Lord had left him. Some translations say that the spirit had left him. Wow. Because sexual morality desensitizes you to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You no longer can determine what he's saying. You, you lose your ability to discern his leadership on your life. In Samson's life, I learned a few things, and this is extra, so I'm just, I didn't do this in the last service, but I'll do it with you guys. When those things happen, especially with sexual sin, you know what God always gives you? He always gives you time. Don't ever mistake God's long-suffering with God's approval. If you've ever watched great men and women of the faith fall, especially in sexual sin, know this, that the anointing is always slow in coming, but it's always slow in leaving. And just because you can still perform doesn't mean God approves. God will always send you people. God always sends you people. And maybe I'm that person in the next few minutes today. Maybe I'm a person that God's putting in your path right now. And God refuses to be anybody's good luck charm. Just know this. God's not your get out of jail free card whenever you can just, not you're like your rabbit's foot that you can keep going to and there's no consequences to it. Listen to these words the Apostle Paul says in regards to sexual morality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans. Now watch this. Who do not know God. That's the word for God the Father. And, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. The Lord there is the word for God the Son will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. In this portion of scripture, sexual morality affects the whole Godhead. We sin against God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All sin is equal, but the consequences of sins are different. And when we sin in a sexual way, what happens is we, we sin against the whole Godhead, the whole complete work of God's grace in our life. Now, you may be asking, Pastor Ricky, can you define for me what sexual morality is? I'm glad you asked. The word that Paul uses here is pornea. It means any sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, I'll say it again. Any sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, I know, I know. I've had people say, Pastor, times are different. But we really love each other. But we're already engaged. Pastor, it's getting really hard out there with the economics of things. It's just cheaper for us to live together and to cohabitate. I know all of those things, but let me just read to you the definition again. It's any sexual activity outside of marriage as God defines it. 
because God draws circles around things that he considers sacred. That's what the 10 commandments are. God's just making boundaries because he's the creator of them and he knows how they are to operate best. Yeah, I'll say it like this. When God draws a circle, it's relative to him, not to culture. Make sure you understand that. He draws circles around things he considers sacred. Pastor, why would you just talk about this? But I'll say why. Because we lived in a highly sexualized culture. And just there's a new Christianity Today poll that just came out that 68% of all church girls in America view pornography multiple times a week. And the greatest offenders is the age of 12 to 17. Watch this. There's a whole generation within the church that are going to be getting married in the next 10 years. And they're going to go into marriage in bondage to pornography. That's why we're talking about this kind of stuff. And all of that's in this room right now. So let me give you the point that I'm trying to make is that the dove will not adjust to you. You have to adjust to the dove. You have, a live, you have to live in a way where the Holy Spirit can remain on you. Let me give you three thoughts on how you can do that. And I'll quickly end the sermon so we can all get out of here and go home. That's why I talked about the miracle offering first. You see how I did that? <laughs> Number one is you have to embrace repentance. Repentance is a beautiful word. It's not an ugly word. You know the Holy Spirit comes to convert the lost, but he also comes to convict the saints. That's true. He comes to convert lost people, to bring them to faith, but he also convicts the saints. This is where repentance comes in. It's a beautiful word to have a changing of the mind, to, to turn the heart back towards the Lord, uh, to, to turn around and to begin to walk in his direction. Let me give you just, I'm going to spend the most time on the first one because I think it sets the other two up. Here's what embracing repentance means. It's learning to respond to conviction and not consequences. It's learning to respond to conviction. The Holy Spirit makes you aware that something is wrong. Your direction's wrong. Your attitude's wrong. Your words are wrong. They're sinful. And the Holy Spirit... Here's, I, was, I heard about some Native American theologians who I love their, their thought insight on this. They, it's not true, literally, but it's true in, in, in a figurative sense. They believe that there's a triangle in the heart. Holy Spirit's the triangle in the heart and has three points. And anytime you begin to move in a direction or do something the Holy Spirit doesn't like, that triangle moves and that point pricks the heart. You feel it. Ooh, that ain't right. And they said that the, the, you respond quickly and it goes right back. If you don't, it keeps moving. And if you ignore it for so long, the edges can get worn off where nothing convicts you. And you no longer feel that inner pricking of the Holy Spirit. Respond to conviction, not just consequences. It means this, that the Holy Spirit won't allow you to move forward with his peace until you go back and fix what you just did. 
You can move forward, but you won't have the peace. You won't have the dove as you move forward. Uh, conviction means that I learn to repair before I move forward. Say it like that. I like what one young man said. Re conviction is something that makes you tell your parents before your sister does. Come on, somebody. <laughs> conviction is protection. Before they're, listen, if you don't listen to conviction, what will follow with, will be big apologies with a long list of evidence. Before there were receipts, before there were text messages, before there was a browsing history, there was a conviction. And if you would have just listened to the nudge of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift. You don't have to learn through consequences. I call it in our house, we have those things that were supposed to change batteries every year and they beep all the time. Anybody know what those are called? Smoke what? Smoke. Come on, say it. Smoke. They're not fire alarms. If they're fire alarms, you're done. You're dead. You're going to see Jesus. They're smoke alarms. Before it becomes a fire, they sound the alarm. That's the Holy Spirit. He's a smoke alarm. And some of us need to smoke the devil out. That was free, by the way. Embrace repentance. Let me tell you, I'll, I'm going to say one last thing. Small apologies are a good sign that you're staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If you've gone long periods of time and you haven't made an apology for something small, you're ignoring conviction. The other day, I got on, I was in, I was at a, a conference and I was tired. I was dealing with a difficult situation, multiple of them at the same time. I'm on a phone call. Somebody says something. I didn't like it. I didn't sin with my words, but I was very intense. And I was, you're not going to say that again. I was just saying, I hung up the phone and immediately that triangle moved. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, call them back and apologize. Oh, are you kidding me, Holy Spirit? That? They deserved it. Nope, you call them back because I won't tolerate that from you. So I had to call them back, say, I, I don't change my position, but I think my tone was not one of kindness. Please forgive me. I didn't have to do that, but I did if I wanted to obey the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that the Holy Spirit's been dealing me on, can I be honest, this is just transparent. One of the things I hate is taking grocery carts back to the place where they're supposed to go. <laughs> Anybody else with me? Come on, am I the only one? Especially when it gets cold outside. They put those suckers as far away as you can get. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it right here by the pole. Or right by the, somebody's going to get it. That's job security. Somebody needs to get that money. And all that stuff. The Holy Spirit says you take it all the way back and you put it in that corral because you don't know who's going to be watching you. It's going to judge you or the church or me because you simply felt entitled that you didn't have to take the grocery cart back. Something small, but the Holy Spirit was pinpointing it. Here's another one. Embrace repentance. Second is release your offenses. This is the one that comes to bitterness. You know, often when a bitterness comes is we built a temporary fence that's become a permanent structure. 
And what once was built to protect us is now keeping everybody and in God himself out. And I don't encourage you that sometimes the work of the Holy Spirit is to deconstruct, not him, but to deconstruct the things that you've built. And one of those is uh, releasing your offenses. I'll read it again. Be kind, compassionate with one another, forgiving each other. Let me give you something to do, an exercise. If you know you're going to be around difficult people who've hurt you and harmed you, or you think will in the future, Thanksgiving, Christmas, at the holidays, let me just say this. Why don't you practice pre-forgiveness? God, I, this is going to be tough. God, I, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to, God, I need to be filled with mercy. I need to be filled with a lot of love. Would you let kindness rule in my heart? Compassion flow out of me. And, and would you let forgiveness come? I pre-forgive them, Lord. I want you to make me unoffendable, Holy Spirit. And when it comes to releasing offenses, you always have to do it by faith first. And then feeling comes. But listen, when you forgive and release offenses, that's not permission to destroy you anymore. That's not permission for people to continue to abuse you and not to have good boundaries. I'm just saying you give up the right to get revenge and to destroy them. You leave it in the hands of God. I release them to you, Lord. Release your offenses. And then lastly is this, move inside the circles. When it comes to moral issues, the Holy Spirit is always moving you inside the circles, the boundaries of the Lord. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. And the implication is, do those. But you have to do the work of finding out what pleases the Lord. Let me just say this. That may mean in here that you may need to change directions. You may have to move out of the house, the apartment that you're sharing. You may have to put different controls on your computers. You may have to change direction and you may have to change the definitions you use because you're more cultural than you are biblical. That's may, that may mean what it means. You're more Google than God. A.W. <laughs> Tozer said this. I close with this as the worship team comes. If you go to church once a week, nobody will pay attention to you. But if you worship God seven days a week, all of a sudden you become very strange. I like that. If you go to church once a week, nah, no one pays attention. Hour and a half, no big deal. But if you try to live this out seven days a week do you, and live inside the boundaries of scripture, I talk differently, I steward my finances differently. Sexually, I steward my body differently. You become all of a sudden very strange. You're different. So what I want to do over the next few moments is I just want us to pray one more time and welcome the person of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. And if you can stand, stand. And I want you just to take a posture of prayer, bow your head, close your eyes, put your hands, palms up in front of you as a sign of your humility. If you're here and you've never been born again, you've never admitted that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confessed Him as your Lord, you can do that right now.
Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You alone can save me. Jesus, cleanse me and forgive me of my sin. If you're here and you need to do that and connect with him for the first time, or you need to do it again and rededicate yourself to him, do that now. Your words, not mine, yours. And let me speak to the other group in the room. Let's just with our palms up here, let's just begin to pray like we've prayed for the last several weeks. Now, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, not in your head and not just in your heart, but now with your, your voice, I want you just to say, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come like the wind, Holy Spirit, and fill me. Come on. We're going to pray through these symbols, all of them. Come like the wind, Holy Spirit. Fill my sails again. Come on, do it. Come like the oil. Come upon me fresh and anew. Renew me, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come like the water. Jesus said rivers of living water would flow out of me. Come flow through me, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come like the fire. Stir up the gifts, stir up the flame inside of me. Empower me, Holy Spirit. And now, Holy Spirit, come like the dove and convict me. One of the things they say about a dove is it won't land on a, on a nest that's out of order. It thinks the enemy may have been there and it won't fall in a disheveled nest. I just think we need to take a moment to prepare some space for the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's lifted and you want to invite him back. Come on, let's just embrace repentance. What's the Holy Spirit? He's called the finger of God in the scripture. What's he putting his finger on in this message? Where have we grieved him? Maybe you've been more political than you've been Christian. Repent of that. Maybe it's bitterness. Come on, release for the first time the offense. Lord, I give up the right for revenge. Lord, I give it to you. Let kindness and compassion and forgiveness flood my heart. Come on, this is where the work of the Holy Spirit gets real. Maybe you've crossed a moral boundary. Maybe it's a, a sexually moral boundary. And you need to repent and say, Holy Spirit, bring me back into the circle. Wash me, cleanse me. Let the grip of lust and pornography have no more control over me. Or maybe there's another area of the Holy Spirit. Your finances, your relationship, your language, your mouth, whatever it is, just repent. And ask for the Holy Spirit who's also called the Spirit of Grace. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're like a dove. I pray that you would come and rest upon us in this place, fresh and anew. 
that we would stay sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't become desensitized, but we would have an awareness of the Holy Spirit because two-thirds is not enough. And we need you in all of your expressions. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing as we worship the Lord together.